Welcome back, everybody, to finally another episode of American Soccer Quick Kicks. I apologize for the long hiatus. I had lost my ability to record and produce episodes. I think I'm finally back on track now. And of course, we have a whole lot to catch up on. The summer of soccer has ended and the calendar is winding down, but the matches keep on coming. We have a lot to get into. And so real quick, I want to try to catch up on everything. We're going to touch on the Major League Soccer regular season as it only has a couple of matches left and the playoff race is tight in both conferences. I'm going to touch on some of the other competitions that MLS clubs play in and of course talk a little bit about the national team as we have now had two of the World Cup qualifying windows completed and we're almost halfway through that qualification schedule. So let's get right into it. As I record this, this is Wednesday afternoon, October 27th. We have a full schedule of MLS matches tonight. After tonight, I believe every team will have only two matches left to go. The New England Revolution have surprised many people by putting in what is perhaps historically the best regular season in the history of the league. Not only have they clinched the playoff spot, not only have they clinched the Supporters' Shield for 2021, but they are two points away from breaking the all-time points record for the regular season. They're sitting on 70 points with two matches left to play. The record was set in 2019 by LAFC with 72 points. So they only need two to tie and three to break the record with six points available in these last two matches. Both of these games will be at home. The first one is tonight against a tough Western Conference opponent in Colorado, and then they will end the season on Sunday, November 7th at home against Miami, which is certainly a club they should be able to handle. So it looks like Bruce Arena, who is historically the most successful coach, the most accomplished individual coach in the history of this league, has returned to coaching after being fired from the U.S. national team in 2017 upon our failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. He spent a few years out of the game, came back in as a coach for New England last year, and has very quickly turned them around into Supporter Shield winners. This is the first Supporters' Shield in New England Revolution history. It is also the first MLS trophy, meaning either MLS Cup or Supporters' Shield, that they've ever won. The Revolution had a reputation there for a little while as the Buffalo Bills of MLS because they have been to four MLS Cups and have lost all of them. Now, that was about 15 years ago. Now they're back stronger than ever and are favorites to make it to MLS Cup and to host the match. So we'll see how they do in the postseason. Of course, the postseason is basically a single elimination tournament and any Anybody can get hot and anybody can end up winning it all. But the Supporters' Shield shows that over the course of 34 matches from April to November, that this team had sustained success and showed sustained superiority over the rest of the league and the rest of their schedule. And it perhaps is a better barometer of who is the best team for the year. That being said, the MLS Cup is the more prestigious trophy and the more, the more coveted prize. So we'll see if Bruce Arena can manage this long break that they've got because there's an international window coming up. And then because the Revolution are the Supporter Shield winners, they're going to have a bye in the first round. So they're going to wait even longer before they play a meaningful match after November 7th. So they're going to have a big break and can Arena get his team ready to go and be fully prepared for the single elimination format? We will find out. 
In the East, we have a fight for second place. Nashville has had a really good year in terms of not losing. They've only lost four matches, which is the same number of matches that New England has lost. However, they're setting a record for the number of draws in a season. And so they've kind of been at number at the second place position for most of this season. But just last week, Philadelphia has passed them to move into second place. So Philadelphia is looking really hot and really strong. And it's going to be interesting to see what kind of presence they make in the postseason. But as for the rest of the table, although there's more teams that are still mathematically alive. Realistically, the top seven from each conference go to the playoffs, and there are two teams in the eighth and ninth spots that are within three points of that playoff line. So we'll see how that goes. Same thing in the Western Conference. There are two teams below the playoff line that are within three points of the threshold. But at the top of the table in the West, we have Seattle. And then right behind them, we have Kansas City and Colorado. Colorado has dropped points this year from winning positions. And they're much like Atlanta, just a couple of moments in two or three different games. And their standing in the table right now would look very, very different. So don't sleep on Colorado. Robin Frazier has really got that team playing at a high level. We'll see how they're ready for the playoffs also. So both conferences are very, very tight. Almost every match has huge playoff implications. It seems like for the last month, every team has been playing in a six-pointer. It's one of the one of the exciting things about a league that values parity so much is that there's always a congestion at the end of the season of how the playoff picture is going to shake out. And we absolutely don't know very much. And of course, I'm going to have my eyes on New England to see if they can break that all-time points record. Real quick, to catch us up on some of the other competitions that MLS participates in, the 2021 Campiones Cup was played on September 29th. That is taking the defending MLS Cup champion and taking the Liga MX Campeon de Campiones champion which in this case was the Columbus Crew versus Cruz Azul. Columbus has struggled this year. They're currently outside the playoff picture, although they are still mathematically alive. Manager Caleb Porter is famous for not ever making it to the playoffs two years in a row. So they have underperformed according to expectations. However, they defeated Cruz Azul in the Campeones Cup 2-0. to zero. So they once again lift a trophy this year. So congratulations to the Columbus Crew. It has been an interesting summer as far as Mexico versus United States in the world of soccer. Of course, the national teams played each other in two different finals in June and July. Both times, the United States came away with the win. The MLS All-Star match was played at the end of August. It matched the All-Stars from MLS versus the All-Stars of Liga MX. That's not quite the same thing, right, because you have players from all different countries playing in these leagues, including Mexicans playing for in MLS. However, it's easy for fans to kind of make the connection with the rivalry and the United States came away with the victory poetically thanks to the foot of one Ricardo Pepe, which is a name that we've heard a lot this year. His star has really risen. I'm going to touch on him more when we talk about the national team. But he is a dual national, had to choose this year between the United States and Mexico. And somehow he found himself at the penalty spot in the shootout to make the decisive kick. And it was Pepe scoring for MLS and defeating Liga MX in the All-Star match. In this year's CONCACAF Champions League, Philadelphia was MLS's lone representative in the semifinal round. However, they did lose to Club America in that round. So that leaves an all-Mexican final. It's going to be played tomorrow night at 10 o'clock Eastern. It's going to be between Monterey and Club America. So there's no longer an MLS club involved in that competition. But if you want to see the final, if you want to see that through and see how it ends, see who will be crowned the CONCACAF Club champion, then it takes place tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. 
And in other news, there was a major announcement about the future of the League's Cup that will redefine club soccer in North America, and it solidifies and makes clear the strength of the partnership between MLS and Liga MX. It shows a massive change and a massive restructuring of how both leagues are going to play their seasons next year, how Champion League berths are going to be determined, and there's a lot to say about that. For the sake of time, I'll save that for a different episode, but just know that League's Cup will now have a much higher profile and will be much more important and will have a lot more at stake, and it can really be a game changer for how MLS conducts its business and um, is able to market to the soccer viewing audience in this country. But I will talk about that more next time because now let's talk about the national team. The U.S. men have now completed six of the 14 matches in the final round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. They currently sit in second place between Mexico and Canada. The first window was played in September. We saw a disappointing draw in El Salvador, another disappointing draw at home against Canada, and then went down to Honduras, and it was looking very scary. We were losing 1-0 at halftime, and we were looking flat and uninspired, and suddenly everybody was very nervous and very tense that, oh my goodness, what if the United States once again fails to qualify for the World Cup despite the level of talent that we now have in our pool? So the story of that third match in the first window, the one in Honduras, is a story of how wrong Berhalter seemed to get the tactics and the shape going into the match and how completely right he was at halftime with the adjustments that he made. I have to give Berhalter credit. He turned away from the 4-3-3, which is our default shape and the one that we seem to be best at, and we came out in a 5-3-2. Now, that didn't work. It wasn't working for us at all, and we went into halftime losing 1-0. to zero. But I have to say this. Burhalter ran that shape out over the summer. He wanted to have a plan B. If you'll remember, we played a 5-3-2 against Costa Rica in the June window, that friendly that immediately followed the Nations League final. He wanted to be able to see that we could go to a plan B, have, a, have, a, have another shape we can play in, and the 5-3-2 is more aggressive, right? Even though you, you're, you're naming five on the back line there, those outside players are wingbacks that— that bomb forward and have those outside lanes. And it's actually a more aggressive and more offensive-minded tactic because you're playing with only three center backs instead of four flatline defenders. So given the personnel selections that he made and the shape that he came out with, he felt he had trained and properly explored the idea of a 5-3-2 and knew that he needed to go down there and score goals. It didn't work out. To his credit, he made the subs he needed to make at halftime where he was criticized for making subs way too late in the Canada match. He made adjustments at halftime, including going back to a 4-3-3. And we were rewarded with an early goal from Anthony Robinson. And then Ricardo Pepe, making his debut, finally seems to be the person who has stepped up to be that number nine center forward, that striker for the United States, that position that we've been waiting for somebody to step in and fill. So we were hoping Daryl DK would be that person. We were hoping Josh Sargent would be that person. We've kind of had Jazzy Sardes playing that spot. And he's been more effective than anybody else, but it kind of seemed like we needed something special there. And it was that, that was a job that was open for the taking, and no one seemed to be grabbing that opportunity. Ricardo Pepe has done that. He came on in the debut, and he scored a goal and had an assist, and he was the story of this match. And the U.S. roared back in the second half and won that 4-1, to and suddenly everything's a lot more optimistic. In the second round of qualifying, 
we were able to take care of business against Jamaica with a pair of Ricardo Pepe goals. So he scored three goals in his first two matches of his international career. Then we went down to Panama with a completely different squad on the field, and we played flat. We ended up losing 1-0. to zero. We came back home against Costa Rica, gave up a goal in the first minute, and all of us, we're playing with our top squad again, gave up a goal in the first minute, and suddenly all the fears start coming back in. But we actually played a very solid match, and we came all the way back with a fantastic match from Serginho Des and a world-class goal from him, and we ended up winning the game 2-1. to one and we ended up in second place going into this third window. Again, the criticism for Burhalter in that second match was the team that he trotted out there onto the field to, to play. And they feel like he kind of gave that match away and wasn't really trying real hard to win, but I disagree. So here's the thing about this year's qualifying. We have three matches almost in every window. And I absolutely love that for the tactical wrinkle that it forces onto managers. And I find that I actually enjoy having these three match windows. I hope it becomes a normal thing going forward because by having three matches in a week, it forces managers to have to really think about their tactics, their personnel, how to manage minutes. It becomes a lot more of a chess match for managers to how to handle their squad. And so one choice that Burhalter made was to play his B squad in this second game. And, you know, he did that this summer. He went out and won the gold cup with basically this squad. So I, I can't really blame him. He thought he had a quality side, right? He won the Gold Cup with these guys. That's why he managed the summer the way he did, so he could try out the, this other shape, a 5-3-2. So he can try out this this next level of players. And the players just didn't step up for this Panama game. He was let down by the performances. I'm not really going to blame Burhalter for that. Now, there, fans can debate or whether there were some other bench options besides the guys he played, but he still needed to rest his top guys. You have to. You're playing three matches in a week. So this is something you might not see in a two-match window, but this is something every team and every manager has to deal with. These are questions they have to answer, and they have to come up with their own ways of solving these challenges. This is what Burhalter did, and based on our success the Gold Cup and based on our success in a 5-3-2 earlier in the summer. I can't really blame him for the choices he made. They just didn't work out. However, we did come back. We did win that third match of the window, the one at home against Costa Rica, and we're in decent shape. We're in second place. We're almost halfway through the qualifying process. It's just that U.S. fans are just a little nervous, a little jumpy, a little scared because of what happened to us in 2017. Coming up in November, we have the only two-match window of this entire qualifying round. We're going to be playing at home in Cincinnati against Mexico on November 12th. And then we'll be traveling to Jamaica on November 16th. So this is the only two-match window. This is a little bit more normal, what we're used to from times past. So there's not going to be a need for heavy squad rotation. And we should be able to see, hopefully, our absolute top-choice squad going in both of these matches. However, that said, we do know Gio Reyna is not going to be available. The injury that he picked up in the last qualifying window is still bothering him, and he hasn't been able to play for his club, and he's going to miss this November window. After that November 12th match against Mexico, we will be halfway through the process. We're sitting comfortably in second place. Again, the top three teams will qualify for the World Cup next year. I'm going to wrap it up right there. This is probably an extra long episode. I apologize for that. I like to keep these short. Obviously, there's a lot to catch up on. Keep your eyes on New England. They're about to set the points record for MLS regular season. We have the Champions League final tomorrow night. And circle the date, November 12th. That is our next qualifying match, and it will be at home against Mexico. And I'll be back next time to tell you all about the brand new and redesigned Leagues Cup. So until then, join me in watching some soccer, and I'll talk to you next time.